Okay. My name is Jake Hofer. I'm the co-owner of Exodus and a real estate agent here in Illinois, and this is the Prairie Farm Podcast. I'm Doug Duran, a landowner trying to be a conservationist. I'm Tabitha Panis, president of the Iowa Prairie Network. I'm Ryan Callahan, director of conservation at Meat Eater. Angela from X and Root Homestead. Chris Helzer, the Nebraska director of science for the Nature Conservancy. Judd McCollum from Working Class Bowhunter. Taylor Keen, founder of Sacred Seed. Ryan Bryson of Bryson Wildlife. This is Luke Fritch. This is James Holtz. Joy Van Weingarten. Sam Sobel. Phil Ebert. Julie Meachin. And you are listening to the Prairie Farm. The Prairie Farm. Prairie Farm. Prairie Farm. Prairie Farm Podcast. Prairie Farm Podcast. Welcome to the Prairie Farm Podcast. Well, I was just holding up this giant rack, uh, something that came from our side of the Mississippi River. Uh, A beautiful, I mean, it's not, I wouldn't say it's like the textbook, textbook Iowa buck, but it's, it's got a lot of the features of that. And I say it's not textbook because it's kind of funky, you know, like it's got a lot of cool character to it. I feel like it gives a tally on the Iowa being the best whitetail state. It, it yeah, puts yeah, a tally def- oh, on yeah, that side. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? It's super impressive. Like it's, it's you know, you come to Iowa to shoot a 150 and that is a 160. That's a 160 inch buck, yeah. you know, so it like exceeds your expectations when, when someone goes to to Iowa for to, after they've drawn a tag, which took how many years? I think six. I, I drew it with five points. So five okay. points is what it took. And wow. there were some guys that didn't draw with five points this year. So it's, uh, you know, half a decade is what I waited yeah, <laughs> to yeah. go some, out and do that. So, something that took a lot of time and, and a lot of planning. And Jake is a planner. I like that a lot about Jake. He's uh, It's inspiring to me to get my, get my act together a little bit on some of the things that I have going in the background. But... Uh, no, Jake went out and he hung out with a good friend of ours, a guy who uh, does a lot of seed sales for us and has uh, transformed a lot of acres in Iowa to to better habitat. And that is our good friend, Steve Hansen. Yeah. And, uh, and Steve, Steve had you out. Yeah. Yeah. Steve, I've, I've met so many excellent people through Exodus and through real estate. And Steve's one of those guys. And <clears throat> it was actually really funny. So we, I just got back from the Harrisburg show. It's a 10 day consumer trade show in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And I remember it was probably 2017 is the first time I ever talked to Steve okay. at that trade show. He was walking by and this, whatever he's like, I think, uh, one of his clients had some Exodus cameras and oh, okay. his client said, yeah, I, you know, I had an issue and I called in, I talked to the owner of the company. And, uh, so that was my business partner, Chad. And so we just started talking and then I was at four points and I was like, Hey, you know, and we just kind of reconnected there and then did a white tail cribs with them. I've done a lot of content and just yeah. become really good friends. And, you know, when I had that coveted tag, I was trying to plan ABCD, talk to him. And, and he said, well, yeah, when you draw your tag, let's head on out and, you know, we'll hang cameras in the summer and do the whole experience. And, yeah. Uh, extremely grateful for how gracious he was with his time and, and everything. And let me hunt one of his, uh, his farms. It was so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that, much fun. yeah. That is like a dream thing, you know, to be able to, to not only draw the tag in Iowa, but then have a good spot to go. Cause I think a lot of guys when they're, when they, um, draw it's like oh awesome i gotta go to iowa i'm gonna take off a week of vacation time and i'm gonna hunt this public piece and i'm gonna maybe go over to this public piece and then i might even go to this public piece if i need to (laughs) and they get there and there's like four other cars in the parking lot not that you you can't have a good hunting while there's other people on on public land but it definitely takes what is already a challenging thing which is harvesting a nice buck with a bow and it makes it what 50, 100 times more challenging, probably, you know, 
to but to have good private land that you know is going to be good is managed with practices that you would mm-hmm. put in place on your own ground um that's like the true dream like that's truly maximizing that limited resource being that Iowa non-resident archery tag. Yeah. I was just looking at some stats here. I think the non-resident success rate was 25%. So wow, that's, you know, one out of four guys and whatever they're filling their tag on, who knows, but you're right. It's like, you almost have to have a good plan and realize how special that tag is, how special Iowa really is because, you know, you guys drove here this morning. We're not that far apart in reality, but we're worlds apart (laughs) when it comes to whitetail hunting, in my (laughs) opinion. Depending on what part of Iowa you're in and what what access you have, but it is truly an exceptional, special state, and uh, every time I go, I don't want to leave. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe someday you'll own land there, and and maybe you can, uh, you know, be like, yeah, my my address is is Iowa. I live here. (laughs) They're pretty strict on that. Six six months out of the year, (laughs) I live here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they are strict on that, for sure, which I'm glad for. I'm very glad for, and we we can talk about that here in a little bit because Jake mentioned something fascinating on his own show which we'll talk about here shortly, but yeah, you're a great hunter. And I think the story with Steve talks about, or is a testament to how good of a networker you are. Like, you know, there's this, I don't know if you know, Cole young, uh, he's a, he's an Illinois bow hunter. He's, he's, uh, done a lot of work with working class, um, bow hunter and, uh, Cole shot a, uh, one ninety five few years ago. And he talked about all the comments he got, of huh, must be nice. You know, you got all this nice ground. You and, and Cole tells a story of how much work he put into getting permission on this piece, doing a ton yeah. of free labor for, um, the landowner to, to get their CRP acres back into compliance. So I think yeah. they could re up their, their contract and, uh, the reward for all of his efforts where it was, yeah, you can hunt here. And, yeah. and, uh, uh, that must be nice attitude. Someone listening in might think, well, you know, that's, that's no fair. Jake gets to go hunt with Steve Hansen, but the untold hours you've put into Exodus and the land podcast yeah. and networking and building your own brand. Like that's the, that is the currency that doesn't show up in the bank account. Right. For sure. Yeah. And you know, it is a lot of work and there's a lot of time, but I have so much fun doing it. And I, I just get, really excited when I'm around people that have a similar passion and yeah. the same ideas and they don't, uh, that whole group of people, especially with land podcasts, they don't look at it as like, Oh, you're lucky. Or those are all guys hustling and trying to make yeah. something happen too. And it's, so it's not like a, like a high school friend where you're like, Oh, I just did this. And they're like, Oh, it must be nice. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah. But it's like, well, no, like you could do this too. I'm not anything special. I promise. Yeah, right. And it's, I think that's um, kind of just a lost art form is like, just put in the work and figure things out. You do not have to have a full plan on everything. Yeah. When I started land podcast. I had no clue what I was doing. I was like, well, I <laughs> yeah. got two in the bank. So let's just press publish you know, <laughs> or 130, you know, later. That's, right. it's like, that's what you yeah. have to do sometimes. It's a great podcast, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. I, there is some, there is dude, I'm, I'm so worried your mic's going to fall off the edge. Oh, <laughs> that, that stressing me out. <laughs> there, I do want to say, um, someone has laid some groundwork that we've talked to for exactly what you're talking about, Ken. And like, if you go back and talk, uh, listen to our episode with Doug Duran, he talks about his program, sharing the land yeah. where instead of you having to go out and find people and beg them to work mm, for them and do yeah. it, you could just go sign up. And then basically you're applying to all these landowners. Um, now yeah, that's true. 
something that is that is growing, but it's still in its infancy stage is landowners in Iowa. Um, but it is growing. There's more awareness yeah. of of the the program, and it's such a cool program. Where I mean, I mean, Jake, one of your one of your amazing gifts is like network. You're so you and Steve Hansen, you get done talking to you guys, and you're like, man, I like that guy. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's just like an emotion. It's a new emotion I feel yeah. when you get done talking. It's like, man, I like that guy. So you know that that makes it easier. There's some like very great people out there that you get done talking. It's like. <laughs> you know, yeah. but I'm sure they work hard. I'm sure they're respectful, you know, and they, they treat land well. And, and that's where something like that's another program being able to step into it and, and help facilitate getting access, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. That is a good tie in there, Nick, for sharing the land, but uh, let's talk about the land podcast, man. And, and we'll talk about the Exodus podcast too, because that's definitely part of, part of the story. Um, first of all, uh, along the lines of what Nick was saying, Every time I tune into the land podcast, you know how it's when you hang out with like some people that are maybe like a step ahead of you and like going where you want to go. That's how I feel when I listen to that. Like it's this very like, you know, encouraging thing, you know, like a, like a good sermon at church or something. You're like, all right, you know, I'm going to get my life together. And, and, uh, that's, uh, <laughs> Ken playing I'm going to like, <laughs> quit the hard drugs this time. Okay. <laughs> we keep uh, telling him before episodes, he needs to quit. But it makes such good episodes. <laughs> Worked for Chris Farley. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but no, it's like you, you, uh, you're like energized, you know, and it's not, it's not this like, uh, like, wow, I survived another episode. No, it's, it's, it's good. It's like iron sharpening iron conversation, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, I think it's, you identify good guests who look at what, what is the current status of owning land in America, owning land in whitetail country, you know? And, um, okay. Yeah. It's 20 times more expensive than what it was for, you know, a generation or a generation and a half ago to buy land. Okay. We had this much habitat available then, and we have this much less available right. now. And it's not say, well, shoot, you know, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be nice to have been alive 35 years ago and be old enough to be buying land, yeah. you know, the, me- uh, the meme of, uh, my biggest regret is I wasn't buying land in third grade. Or that is a real thing. Ken talking to his oldest son in kindergarten, like, all right, well in a couple of years, you'll need to be ready to buy some land. You ready to lose more teeth yet, Jonas? You got a mortgage payment coming up, buddy. No, it's true. I mean, but the attitude isn't like, yeah, that would have been, those were the days. It's okay. These are the days. Yeah. And how are we going to make this happen? Right? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I think about this all the time. It's, we're going to be looking back to right now and say, yes. oh my gosh, I wish I could have, I wish I would have bought more. Or I can't believe I didn't buy this piece because it went for that, which feels crazy now. Right. But every generation, yep. it, it's the same thing. And that's something that just talking to farmers, talking to whoever, um, like I can remember, um, I have an old plat map in the house from 1911 for this township. Hofer is all over that thing. And wow. I remember talking to my grandpa and he's like, yeah, you know, this was like right when Tillable hit $8,000 an acre. And that was a piece that their family owned. Uh-huh. And I'm like, okay. Uh, and you know, I was probably eight. I was like, so why'd you guys sell it? 
well, yeah. we need money. I was like, well, where'd it go? What'd you get? You know, like, <laughs> that dirt's still there, you know, and it's worth a lot more than what you sold it for. Yeah. And you know, I just got to grumble. I don't even remember what his response was. But even back then, it's like, you know, you could just kind of see the light bulb go off. And um, like where we're sitting now, that was on my mom's side. Or they own this. And I actually have the deed when they bought this from their parents in 1945. And it was like, wow, $2,000 for this whole thing. Oh, <laughs> you know, man. it was, wow. and that might've been a, a friends and family discount, obviously. But you look at that, it's like, gosh, you couldn't even buy half an acre yeah. or a third of an acre yeah. for what this oh, is. Yeah. And uh, so you're right. Yeah. The good old days is right now. And then 10 years ago or 10 years in the future, the good days will be then too. So it's, yeah. you just have to just get moving forward. And it's, I think this is probably a harder thing, harder or maybe easier for some people because they don't follow the S and P 500 or they don't follow the Dow Jones, but it's the same thing of like, yeah. you go back like, Oh, the S and P 500 hit a thousand dollars, you know, like yeah. and whatever that is now it's like that continues. Like time goes on the rule 72, uh, takes about 11 years for something to double if it's, you know, seven or 8%. So if the land appreciates at 6%, you know, it's going to double yeah. hypothetically in however many years when you run it through that formula. Chase Burns yeah. was telling us that the land in the Midwest has consistently hit 10% over the past while, which is correct. That's way over S&P 500 numbers, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. It's a strong investment. In Kansas, I read a study that in the last five years or something, annualized return was 21%. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. The prairie state of, you know, the sunflower state. And that's, you look at that, it's crazy. And it's hard for people to really realize, but... You know, I think we all are guilty of looking at it as like, hey, is it really responsible to take a risk and buy a piece of ground? But I have not found anyone that that has not worked out yet. And actually, I've been saying this on the land podcast. If someone in their family or they had a blunder and they bought something, they couldn't afford it, they lost the farm. I, I want to hear that story. And actually, I did have someone reach out and their family lost the farm in the 80s. But here's the cool part. They bought it back in like oh, 2000 man, something. Awesome. And so that's kind of the cool uh, full circle. That. Yeah. So I, I'm looking forward to recording that here in the next two weeks or so. What do you yeah, say? Definitely. Because so numbers specifically wise, you talk about, let's say you buy a half a million dollar piece. You got $500,000 and it's appraising. Um, you still have to come up with cash to pay that mortgage because yeah. appraisal money on paper is not cash in the bank and the bank only accepts cash. You know yes. what I mean? The bank doesn't accept stock and dirt. <laughs> yeah, and right. so, so what do you say, how do you have that conversation? Especially, um, for instance, some, some of your ground is heavily wooded. It's harder to make money on those acres, you know, to be able to pay that mortgage payment. I'm not saying impossible. There's definitely yeah. ways, but how, how do you address that conversation? I think it's, it's really hard. And I think that's what keeps most people out from buying land. It's like, okay, it's, it's hard to save up a down payment. No doubt about that. And then oh, it's yeah. like, okay, now I have to come up with a thousand dollars a month or $800 mm-hmm. a month or whatever it is. And so <clears throat> I think it's just forced savings is one way to look at it. But I think it's really important to make sure that your debt to in, like the bank will give you a, I think it's 40% debt to income or 49 or whatever it is. Like I wouldn't want to be that close. I would say if you can, if this pencils out to where you're only making between your mortgage and your land 30% or 25%, I think that's kind of the sweet spot, but you're right. That that's really hard. And that's especially on a big piece like that. That's when it's nice to have some income and that's where timber, you know, you can manage your timber and you might be able to get a cut every 10 or 15 years or maybe 60 years if it wasn't managed properly before you buy it. And so it is hard and yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah. that's, there's no doubt about it. And I how, think it's a struggle. We were just picking someone's brain about this recently. How do you have that conversation with someone who, Hey, uh, Jake, I really want to buy some land. Here's my finances. This is the piece that I want. Or, you know, I want 60 acres and you look at their finances and you're like, you know, even if it barely works out, it's like, then you're going to be land poor. How do you have yeah. that conversation with a land buyer? 
I try not to get in people's finances. Okay. <laughs> it's like oh, yeah. the bank, the bank will do that, but yeah. I've become such good friends with a lot of clients and they'll speak more candidly. And I'll just tell them that my advice, like, man, you know, I know you can do it, but you know, there's going to be lifestyle creep. You're probably going to want a new truck at some point or a new car. So it's like, you really have to pencil these things out. And I think the other thing too, is every piece is a little bit different. Some of them you might buy and you, you plan on owning that the rest of your life, for example. Mm. So figure it out. Maybe you have to cut some different things or, or, just, you have to figure it out. But if it's something that's maybe, uh, I think I might have it for five years. So that's a little bit shorter time. Like, well, can you make a sacrifice for five years and, yeah. and, and buy that piece and figure out what you really want? Because I always compare to <clears throat> someone buying their first house. They're probably going to buy like a two bedroom or a three bedroom house, mm-hmm. probably 1200 square feet. And then eventually, you know, they have kids and then they want a little bit bigger house. And that's kind of the same consumer behavior with farms. They saved up, they bought a 20 or they bought a 40 and eventually they want a 60 or right, 80. Yep. And hopefully professionally, you know, their, their income increases throughout those years too, where they yeah. can continue to afford more, but it is hard. And that's why I looked it up. I think in, in this County, it's like 3% of citizens in this, in this County own over 40 acres. Wow. So you're a, you're wow. a major minority if you even own any acreage. So it's like, yeah. you know, when you start talking to other landowners, it's easy to be like, Oh man, that guy owns 200 acres. I only own 40, but mm-hmm. you have to realize you're in a class of your own already and you made it happen and you should be, you know, proud and happy with what you've done and, and not constantly be thinking, well, what, what can I get next? What can I get next? That's the problem with land though. Cause you buy it and you're like, I wonder if the neighbor will sell me that. <laughs> you know, it's just, right, yeah. it's usually some of the first thoughts that come in, but yeah, it, it, it is hard. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, so we're going to circle back to deer hunting here eventually, but while we're, you know, on the topic of, of what, of podcasts you host, you also work for co-own Exodus Outdoor Gear. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that, how you got into that and, and how the, that's evolved? Yeah. It, the, the shortest version of the story, um, I was writing for a website during college called Wide Open Spaces to help pay for college yep. and uh, I read a lot of your articles back then I used to read articles really? there all the time <laughs> that's I wrote a lot of those in class <laughs> <laughs> and uh and so like I learned I learned copywriting I learned SEO I learned marketing I learned you know like it was just a different age of the internet at the time and you could you could get something to go viral if you wrote mm-hmm. a good enough hook on you know everything else so I learned a lot throughout that process but I also remember reading and hearing about exodus and so I was a junior in college at the time five-year no BS warranty. They were trailblazing and setting themselves apart from the entire industry. So I remember hopping on a call and doing a phone interview with them as they were, before they even shipped their first camera ever. Yeah. And released that uh, story. And then at the ATA show, my senior year, <clears throat> I had a meeting with them and they just wanted me to write articles. I was like, well, that, that's great. I'll be happy to do that. But I need an internship to graduate. I'll work for free. I don't care. And so I was their first like outside employee at that time. And I said, well, you know, hopefully at the end of this internship, if I make an impact in the business, there'll be more opportunity. And that's exactly what happened. And then, Mm. uh, there was some like Mm. restructuring throughout the years and I was able to buy into the company and, uh, you know, I was extremely frugal. I saved literally every single penny possible, drove a crappy car and Mm -hmm. was able to buy into the company. And then, so, uh, now I handled the marketing and and some of the content and, uh, it's been really fun and really rewarding. And just like I mentioned earlier, like the people that I've been able to meet is, probably the most valuable yeah. part of this experience aside from running a business, the struggles that go with that, the the wins that go with that. And it, it is, I mean, I've learned a lot over the last seven years of being an Exodus that I, I wouldn't even dreamed up that I, that I would have learned. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've been here since fresh out of college. It's been my only quote yeah. unquote career in it. And it's How been, old are you? It's, I'm 29. 
29. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. it's just been really fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a lot. That's a lot accomplished in not a lot of time. And it's a testament to your work ethic. And, and also like there's people that are really hard workers, but then there's also people that aren't intimidated by risk. And I've been a hard worker my whole career, but I've been intimidated by risk a lot of my career. And then I start working with this <laughs> zany fellow over here. Dude, I think I like, it's like my brain is colorblind to risk. My whole, my family, my wife's like, what are you doing? I'm like, Psh, I feel like there's no other option. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and well, and both, both your parents are entrepreneurs, you know? Yeah. Aunts and uncles, cousins, everybody. Yep. So, and I think that that's, that's an important lesson for not just myself, but anyone tuning into this podcast, like you got a dream, you well, go get it. I mean, what yeah. are you going to do? Wait for your next life to go get it. I mean, no, yeah. it's like the time is now just like buying land. The time yeah. is now. And, uh, so, you know, if you have an idea, chase it, I think that's a big lesson that can be taken away from Jake's story. But all this is around deer hunting. Like, yeah. uh, if you were, if you were not into deer hunting, do you think you would care about owning land? That's a really good question because it's always been a dream since a kid to own land. Yeah. You know, I thought that was, you know, something unattainable. I thought I'd have to win the lottery or have mm-hmm. really uh, rich grandparents or yeah, something right, like right, that. Right. And that wasn't, I just didn't even know there was a path for an average person to buy land. And uh, it was tied to deer hunting. But now that I own land, a lot of these projects are not on the big buck checklist to make this farm the best for whitetails. I've become way more conservation minded than, than what I would have ever really dreamed of. And that's, it's so fun because you just look at, you look at everything different. You look at every piece of uh, timber different. You look at every, everything different. And that's, that's been really fun. And so what started that, the conservation mindedness, you know, I think it was, okay. I bought a piece of ground. I want to be a really good steward of this. Mm. And so then mm. you get a biologist out there and then they're like, Oh, this, that, this plant's bad. This plant's bad. This plant's good. And you're like, well, why is it bad? And they explain it. And why is it good? And so, and then you get another biologist and then you get their opinion. And so I think it was just wanting to manage the land as best as possible, you know, even outside of, uh, of whitetails, because I think there's this common debate and, um, of like bush honeysuckle or autumn olive. It's great cover, but it, mm-hmm. you know, it, is it the best? You know, it's right. like, I understand that in in the short term, yeah, it's probably better, but what about the long term? Because mm. w- we don't know why tails will be around forever. Right. Yeah. And so we just let the landscape go kind of crappy because, because of whitetail deer or because we're worried about next season and not 10 years from now. Right. And so that was kind of the, the process of, okay, like this farm has a bunch of honeysuckle and I've gone through 50s of fuel to tank with the chainsaw <laughs> yeah. and, gallons of, and gallons of remedy. So, yeah. um, you know, and so it's just been that whole process of like, I haven't quite seen the ecosystem respond to what I've done. I have in some different forms and fashion, but I, I really think it's just wanting to be the absolute best steward of the land as possible. Dude, that but, is so cool. Well, and you met, I think you have seen it respond. You said you saw a pheasant. Yeah. And a guy, and a guy <laughs> right. who's a guy who has uh, hunted in the area for 20 20 plus years like you saw what and and uh that's to me those are the things you really got to look out for when you start doing this work is how does the ecosystem around you respond and it gives you little glimpses of that you know like oh that's a different songbird songbird i've never seen before or that's a oh look at that that's a native forb that just showed up you know yeah um kyle liebarger from uh native habitat project down he's down south somewhere oh yeah alabama i think yeah um, he talks about that all the time, you know, he, he goes and 
you know, sprays out an old pasture or something, then boom, there's this flush of natives that come back or, or he burns it or something like that. And, um, you, you know, you get rewarded from the evidence side, side of it. And I think that becomes the, the new hunt, right? The new it, pursuit. Yeah. It's like, how can I get more of that? Because it's, it's, uh, it's like getting your gold star in grade school for, you know, learning how to write your name in cursive. You know, it's like you, you're, you're, you're seeing a rec- some kind of recognition, but how meaningful that is that now this species can thrive here on my piece, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of like, um, uh, in 2022, I, I, uh, shot my first nice buck on my family's farm and I shot a nice buck on another farm that my family owns, but I have way less history with the year before. And that was, you know, I'd shot a few nice bucks out there, but the one on the family farm that I'd been crawling around on since I was, you know, a toddler, the meaning there. And it's, it's just like, there's so much more like this was here on our, on our ground. What an honor that this is chosen this spot and that it's, you know, out of all the other areas around, this is habitat. This is a spot for it. You know, that I think it's the same way when you see like a, you know, a, a native grass species or a native uh, flower species that shows up or, or, a you know, pileated woodpecker or something, you know, something that's kind of rare. Yeah. And it's chosen, it's chosen your ground to inhabit. It's like, we must not be getting everything wrong, you know? Yeah. And, and that's, that's addictive to, to, to be able to see that. Um, you mentioned something while we're on the topic of deer hunting here and, and land management and how it's changing. You mentioned something on, I think it was your 100th episode of the land podcast. Uh, excellent episode. Ryan Kirby, right? Yeah. Was the, he yeah. kind of like did the reverse interview on you. Yeah. So he, he reached out. I was like, Hey, do you want to, cause he has a podcast, the art of, uh, the art of hunting. And I said, is it a cool if I just use this and post it on mine? Cause I've never even really told my story. Uh, okay so that's how that works yeah. okay yeah. okay yeah so that's how that worked so so it was it was really good and there was just this you had to like really be paying attention at the right time because there's just this little snippet that you mentioned i was like hold on there talk <laughs> on that some more and you mentioned how when you follow whitetail uh deer hunting like the best deer hunting in our on our continent has been migrating west can you just elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, this is just a theory. Um, but so hunting in Iowa this past year reminded me of hunting in Illinois as a kid, except mm. I'm just slightly a better deer hunter now. <laughs> I'm older. I was like, man, that would have been so cool to hunt Illinois as a, you know, in your late twenties, yeah. like being a deer nut for multiple years, yep. or, you know, for a very long time. And so I think, um, so like you look in the nineties, it was Illinois Pike County. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, this is human nature. They want to exploit the resource. So, and then in Pike County, there are so many outfitters that came in and the resource was really exploited. Okay. So then you go like early 2000s. Where is it at? Like Southeast Iowa. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then let's keep moving a little bit west, South Central Iowa. Mm-hmm. And then now, you know, it's really not a secret. Kansas is arguably a, a really, really great state that you can hunt. You know, if you're a landowner and have mm-hmm. over 80 acres, you can hunt every year. Cause this is the first thing that cost my mind. As I loaded up my buck and I was headed home. <sighs> yeah. Six more years until I can yep. do this again. Yep. What's the second best thing? Well, probably Kansas because you could, if you draw a tag for even public, you could probably do it every other year pretty yeah. easily. And uh, I think it's just it's just the same thing. Like as exploitation of the resource continues to move west, like so, like 
the Illinois isn't what it used to be. It's still good, and it's still really good in some pockets. Oh, yeah. And then the same thing with Iowa. If you talk to people and really talk to them, yeah. they're not going to say it's the best it's ever been. Right. Oh, yeah. No. And, and yeah. you keep moving west. And even you know, I think that's probably just, I don't know if it's human nature to glorify the past, but I think the data would probably follow that too. But I, I just think that as the resource was exploited, you know, like the good discontinued to move west. And if you look at the map in the range of big whitetails, we will run out of room. Right. Yeah. That's why that's changes. My, yeah. That's yeah. my next question is, you know, you get past Kansas and you can have very good whitetail hunting in Nebraska. Like there's, we, you and I hunted in a similar area out in Nebraska yeah. and, uh, Caleb and I in this, this, uh, piece of, uh, federal ground that we weren't able to hunt. Um, there was the second rut was going on and those bucks knew that they were on safe ground. And so they were just out running. There's this giant white tail. We called Frank the tank. We were just waiting for him to like step onto the private land that we had permission to. <laughs> and, uh, uh, Frank, the tank was, it was a specimen. And, um, so there is good, there is good white tail hunting in Nebraska, but Nebraska does not have the nutrition availability that a Kansas or an Iowa or an Illinois or an mm-hmm. Indiana or an Ohio has. I mean, you're truly getting into to the West. I mean, if anyone's ever been to Western Nebraska, it is the West. I think some people view it as like almost the West. As I know it's it's like where you were short, at. Yeah, that is the West. Short grass <laughs> yeah. prairie. You know, it's sparse. You know, and and. Uh, so there is a bookend like it's not going to, well, now we're going to be into Montana and, yeah. and Wyoming and those whitetails are not what we have here in, in the Midwest. Yeah. So what is the future then as this creep continues to happen? What do you think? Will there be a reset where, and what would it take to have a reset? You know, so where we're at here, this is a, a really, this is, I can only draw conclusions from the past. I don't know yep. if that's a great idea, but that's what I'm going to do. Hey, so you run with it. You <laughs> yeah. run with it. So where we're at, it was exceptional duck hunting in the early 1900s. Mm-hmm. A lot of duck clubs, a lot of old, old duck clubs throughout uh, the Illinois River area. And so as that became like for the average person to have access to a really good duck hunt, it got harder and harder and you had to be part of a club or own a bunch of ground. Mm-hmm. And whether it's right, wrong or indifferent, I think whitetail hunting will probably follow follow suit to that. Mm. You know, 20 years from now, I don't have the most warm and fuzzy unless something changes. And I think, unfortunately, you'll have to be a large landowner or part of a club or have a really unique property that butts up to something special uh, compared to, like, the 90s when... I mean, this is the same story for everyone. When I was a kid, I could go from here all the way to there. Yeah. Everyone has that same story of, well, now I only have this. Mm-hmm. And so that this becomes smaller and smaller and smaller. And that means that everything around it has more and more pressure. And so I think there's, it, it keeps me up at night a little bit, to be honest, yeah. because it's yeah. like, you know, if this is, if this is the best it's going to be in the, like, okay, 2022 or 2020, I guess it's already 2023, but this past year. So 2023 is deer season. Will that be the best season out of the next 10 years. Yeah. Because you only get one more in those 10 years Yeah, and, and you'll so, know it, you'll notice a difference right. if there is one. And so even when I was in Iowa, I had to drive like an hour and 20 minutes every morning to go hunt. And so mm-hmm. I had plenty of time to think and I'm like, man, is this going to be the best version of Iowa I'll hunt in my life? Mm. I don't know. I hope it's not that, but it's like, if you look at the general it's trends and you know, yeah. unless something changes that, that could be true. And I don't, I don't want that. I, I want people to have fun and have the opportunity to fulfill whatever their goals are, but I do think it'll get harder. 
you know, I'm, I'm glad you bring that up about Iowa because from a hunter management standpoint, I think Iowa, pardon the pun here, Nicholas, but I'm a dad. I'm about to have my fourth kid. They've bucked the trend. Um, that was bad. <laughs> Stop the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that was like first year dad level dad joke. Um, yeah, I'm but, embarrassed as yeah. a non-dad. I'm embarrassed. <laughs> but uh, they've done some things to manage hunter pressure that every other big state, big buck state has failed to do through time. Um, I think, but that pressure is banging on the door constantly, right? Like there is, there is a movement to get into Iowa and change some of those, those laws that protect Iowa's resource better than it's been protected in Ohio, Indiana, Mm -hmm. Illinois, and even what's interesting is Kansas, you know, so it should, Kansas should be like waiting in the, the, the bay, you know, the, the waiting in the wings to be the next, the whitetail state, but they've already succumbed to a lot of the stuff that, it's affected Wisconsin. It was affected Ohio. It's affected Illinois and Indiana and, and everywhere else. And so Iowa is the one state that has, has uh, said, nope, we're going to stick to our guns on these things. Mm-hmm. And let's just go through the list quickly. If you want to hear a more in-depth conversation on this topic, go back to our interview with Skip Sly, who – who very passionately talks about these things. And I think it's super, super <laughs> oh, yeah. helpful. I love that yeah. about Skip. And, and he's I, actually, I mean, he's putting his money where his mouth is. He's oh, met yeah. with, he said, all but two Iowa representatives yeah. um, in the state yep. house. Anytime something threatens it, he's there. And Steve actually went with him in this latest round mm-hmm. um, to, uh, to, to help uh, encourage the lawmakers to make the right choice. Um, but the, the laws that exist are, and you alluded to one in Kansas, if Jake goes and buys a farm in Iowa, which I'm sure he'd like to do, how often do you get to go out there for the rut and hunt with your bow? With it, depending on the zone. If I went where I went last year, it'd be five or six years yeah. for they archery. Say, I say, oh, that's nice that you own land here. You still can't draw a resident tag. Which, or, is, or which is good. You know, anyone that wants to see the the greater good for everyone, I mean, I'm, glad, I'm ultimately glad that is because if yeah. it was 80 acres – Every 240 or every 320 is going to get split up into even 80s. Yeah, and the and the competition over recreational ground prices is going to affect residents too because absolutely now you have you have wealthy non-residents who can drive up the price of of those recreational acres because now they can draw a tag every year on them. The um, there was a gentleman I was talking to. They were buying seed from us, and they were working on an outfitters deal where they had four or five very wealthy gentlemen from Illinois that would each pay a hundred thousand dollars to rotate their turn to hunt that farm for the year because they only drew a tag once every five years. Right. And so they'd all basically split that price, but it's still, you know, you're paying a hundred thousand dollars to go hunt once. Yeah. And, and so they could reserve the rights on it. It was like a 200 acre farm, but Still, yeah. you know, that, that's so a, that drives up the price on everything. Right. Yeah. Well, that's a good, as a sidebar, that's a good thing that Nick brings up there just to show the kind of money. So people who think that hunting shouldn't be around, that's a, there's a lot of money tied up in whitetail hunting. There's a lot of people that have jobs and food on their table because of whitetail yeah. hunting. And I, I part, I mean, I don't like everything about that, but part of the thing I do like is that person now gets to make enough money on their land that they can pay the mortgage and 
keep the land and not, you know, not have to sell it while at the, uh, while at the same time, not having to put it into row crop, yeah, right? They yes. get to keep that land native habitat and they're going to work hard to boost the land. Um, right. so that, I would say that's the pro of that kind of system. But. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so let's keep going on our list here. The next thing is, uh, if Jake did own a property in Iowa, not only would he have to wait every five years, but he couldn't say, you know what? I only get to hunt this every five years. I'm pretty proficient with my vertical compound bow, but just to make sure if I get the moment of yeah. truth, I'm going to bring my crossbow with a scope on it and nope, can't do that either. Right. Thank goodness. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but in Illinois, you can, in Ohio, you can, yeah. in, uh, Indiana, you can, Wisconsin, you can, uh, Kansas, do they? Yes. Yep. So, I mean, that's another thing. And there's no doubt about it. There's data to support it. Crossbows are more efficient than a, a vertical compound bow. It's just easier to fill your tag with a, a crossbow than it is with a, a vertical bow. Yeah. And, and, uh, so that's another thing that Iowa does to, to protect the resource. Um, Oh, there's another big one in there. Oh, gun season. Out of the rut. You're feeling you're feeling some pressure come November, what, 10? The third third well, week into November. Yeah. Always, no- we, the last two, two or three years, we've had a beautiful cold front during that's that right. gun season. I'm like, no. That's, that's right. That's right. In in Illinois, in, uh, I believe, uh, definitely in Wisconsin. Um, Indiana. Indiana. I, I'm not sure about Ohio when they do their gun It's season. later. It's later. It's, they have a uh, the Thanksgiving time frame. They have some sort of firearm season. I think the youth season is kind of during that peak rut too, though. Okay. And uh, another state that I forgot to mention, Missouri. They're <laughs> they're in the same boat as yeah. all these other states, and their rifle season is during the rut. And for Iowa, you can't you can hunt the early muzzleloader season, but on a limited quota of tags available. And then you can't pick up a gun again until, except for the youth season. There's the youth season for like two weekends before that, I think. Um, then you can't pick up a gun again uh, until December 1-ish, right? That first weekend of December. And so now you can't hunt whitetails when they're most vulnerable with a firearm, which is during that, that peak rut time frame. And uh, so all of those things have protected Iowa's resource of whitetails but yet the fact still remains that I agree with you that creep is happening. It's, it's, we've seen it within our own state and central Iowa, South central Iowa is now what Southeast Iowa used to be. And Do you think that that's more of a hunting pressure thing or more of a habitat? Bingo. Thing? You, you got me right to my transition. <laughs> So, you guys must host together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, we were together way too much. Yeah. We slept in that twin bed together last night. <laughs> no, we did not. It was, it, was, it was a bunk bed, okay? <laughs> but uh but but um no, it's it's a habitat thing that's really driving it, I feel, in Iowa. Um the amount of habitat on my own family's farm that has changed since I was a little kid wandering around with a BB gun, you know, has has been crazy. You know, it's been, of course, you know, I host another podcast about being a first gen hunter. So I didn't start hunting until I was an adult. And when I did start hunting, I think I got one year before the, probably the best whitetail habitat on that farm was, uh, dozed. And, and, uh, 
that's just one 240, you know? Think of the tens of thousands, not millions of acres in Iowa that have seen significant habitat loss since, what do they say the heyday was in Iowa? About 2002, 2001, 2002? Uh, yeah, somewhere that, probably to 05, maybe 07. Yeah. Before the EHD really wrecked the state. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Those big waves there. Yep, yeah, and that, yeah, that's another part of it too is just disease. But that becomes compounded too with loss of habitat as you force more deer into tighter quarters right. with available habitat. And um, the the big thing that happened after 2005 was the the ethanol mandates and all these acres all these fence rows were torn out you know little timber draws hedgerows and uh, uh, timbers pushed in um, to create more corn acres and uh, that has been that has been a major effect in uh, the quality of wildlife habitat and therefore deer habitat in Iowa would you agree with that yeah I, I mean I, I can tell you I, I, I'm a real nerd that likes to look at historical imagery. Yeah. See, there's another person, Nick. Yeah. I was really... talking with Fritch last night. He was like, yeah, I like to look at old plat maps. And I that tube over there, I bought some plat maps on eBay. <laughs> I haven't framed them yet. So. On eBay? Yeah. He I, went to an ancient website to buy an ancient map. <laughs> That's where you could find them. That's so. right. But even around here, I mean, right across the road, that used to be a, a ditch of timber. And then the first year we moved in, they got a big old plow and converted whatever they could into tillable. Even looking at this map to the north of me, that was uh, there was actually trees there and a fence row, and then hmm. now that's gone. And so, I mean, across the entire Midwest, wherever you can plant corn or beans, it definitely has happened. And you know, it's it's easy to complain about it, but it's like if I was a business operator and I could maximize my profits a little bit better, you know, yeah. whether it's right or wrong, I, I can see where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. But you know, at, at what cost? Like we only yeah. have one Earth. <laughs> right. yeah. Only, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's, that's exactly right. And, and to be fair, most all farmers. Let's take one specific farmer. Let's say they got two thousand acres. Even if they tiled every single acre, ripped out every tree, and even corn and bean the up to the road pavement, it actually wouldn't make a difference in Iowa if one farmer did that on two thousand acres. The bigger problem, right, is that. 2,000 farmers are doing that on 2,000 acres. So now you have millions of acres where that's happened. And, mm-hmm. and, um, and you know, so it, it's very easy for a farmer to be like, well, what are, what's wrong with these 16 trees getting pulled out? You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's 5,000 cumul- farmers. Yeah, yeah. Cumulative effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so, you know, deer hunting has, has, has changed and I agree. It keeps me awake too, you know, thinking about it. What, what are my kids going to be able to hunt? But there's also a lot of people like Jake who are putting in habitat and they're, and that's going to help mitigate some of these issues. And it even comes back on the hunter pressure issue too. You know, how do you, you can't necessarily, I mean, we should all be active like Skip and Steve where we're going and talking with lawmakers saying, Hey, please reconsider this at least. Um, so that is part of it. But ultimately we don't have as much power there as what we do over ground that we own. Right. And if we make good conservation uh, decisions and uh, uh, provide better habitat, we can almost counteract that additional hunting pressure. You know, that we all, whenever you're trying to get permission to hunt somewhere or shed hunt somewhere, and there's the one person who always says no and they don't hunt it themselves or whatever. It's just like a sanctuary in there. 
it's like, ah, come on. I wish that person would just let me go, you know, but at the same time, I'm always kind of thankful. Like there's one place for some deer to get some age. (laughs) Yep. There's a place deer can retreat during the gun season or, or, you know, when all the non-residents show up and do a deer drive, they all run in there and they're, they're safe, you know? And so, uh, that, that is a, that is a, a very, you know, hands-on thing that, that all of us theoretically could be a part of the solution on. So it's not totally out of our, our control and we can be, you know, myself can be guilty of acting like it is, you Mm -hmm. know? And so, but man, that kind of leads us into our next, our next point here. Uh, the real estate agent, yeah. Jay Kofer. Um, can you just tell everybody the story about how you got into real estate? I think that's that's pretty cool. <laughs> so I, uh, <laughs> so I actually got my license my senior year of college as well. I was trying to figure out what the heck I was going to do with the rest of my life, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, I got my my license, and at that point, I was like, I really want to own ground, and this is kind of how I like to learn. I was like, what's the best way to, to buy a piece of ground, help other people do it, which yeah. is kind of crazy to think that you know uh, someone trusts me with a large transaction at that time, but I, I'm addicted to learning, so like, although I was brand new, I was consuming everything I could, talking to people that you know could share some information, and so uh, that's how I initially got my real estate license of with the goal to want to buy my own piece of ground, and since then, I've enjoyed helping clients so much, uh, so many have become great friends and it, it truly is extremely rewarding because that's kind of what birthed the land podcast too was kind of myself. Like I, I wasn't sure how, how the heck can he afford to buy land? And so talking to other people that I'm not the only person that had that thought. Yeah. And so dealing with a client that maybe has bought and sold over, you know, 20 pieces, how that guy can look at a deal and understand the market versus mm-hmm. the guy yeah. who just said, Hey, I've been saving for five years. I finally can afford a piece of ground. Yeah. Where do I start? And the, the Delta of information was so wide. And so my whole idea was this, how can we bridge the gap and let first time buyers have a plan, understand the emotions that are going to go throughout that process of, is this a good idea? Is this a dumb idea? And really just show that it, it's, it's something that's very attainable. And that's, the land podcast, t- just talking to people like the emails I get are really heartwarming. To be honest, it's it's yeah. it's like, man, you changed my life. I didn't ever think I could afford a piece of land. I saved up. I bought this, mm. or um, I was able to find this off market deal, and I bought my dream piece. And I couldn't have done it without your podcast. Or I didn't think so. People are hungry for the information, but at that time, the, a lot has changed in the last three years since I've been doing it, or two years. And a lot of this information is much more attainable. But back then, even just two years ago, a lot of this information that's on the land podcast now, it would have been really, really, really hard to find that anywhere on the internet. So, you know, indirectly, it's just helping educate everyone to realize, hey, we we can all do this. And I don't know, it fires me up. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Yeah, I love it. One thing, I mean, real estate agents can get paid very well, right? 3% minus whatever your commission, your broker is and, and stuff like that. But... Um, I think the idea is that they're getting paid really well based off of buying and selling it. And that's just not the case. There's, there's like tons of consulting and coaching and even to the point where sometimes real estate emotionally hold someone's hand as they make a life changing decision. You know, they're freaking out. They're like, oh, I'm about to drop like, yeah. you know, yeah. $600,000. I don't know if I can do it. You know, it's like, yeah. Hey, it's going to be okay. You know, the, those kinds of things, it, it, the, um, the emotional and, uh, social acuity that you have to have. That's why you guys get paid so well, you know, and then, and then on top of that, 
every connection you've ever made, which helps you find pieces to sell or find pieces for people to buy. That's, mm-hmm. um, there's tons of value there. And frankly, I, uh, I think often real estate agents just don't get paid enough. You know, I just, but I'm a big fan of you, we, you would have to clip that because <laughs> I think we get paid too much. But you're right. I mean, my friends, uh, you know, like joke and say, I'm a professional docu-signer. Like, that's all I do. And now that is part of it. But you're right. The amount of conversations of yeah. or, or looking at things objectively, like this is something you, you probably haven't considered, but you need to consider it for X, Y, Z reasons. And and even post-purchase of, hey, I have. what do you think of this? What do you think of that? And you're right. It's like uh, we are good agents have a lot of good information or yeah. they can go find someone that can give you a good answer too. Oh yeah. My, um, my, I'll just say that I have a family member that works in consulting for, uh, large businesses and their rule of thumb is the bigger, the money decision, the more the consultant's going to get paid. Right. So, um, when they are consulting for a million dollar deal, they're going to get paid maybe $10,000, but they've consulted for $250 million deals, right? So they're going to get a million bucks for frankly, six, eight hours of work, but they hold the knowledge. So as, as the monetary value client, the expert needs to be better at it because sure. there's more risk. There's more mm. economic risk. And, um, I think that's interesting. Do you mind if I, uh, uh, poke your brain on a, a little bit of a stretching exercise? Sure. Is that cool? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I want to. Nick's standing up and getting and put on some yoga pants. <laughs> yep, here we go. I don't know where <laughs> this is going. I don't know weird. <laughs> no, 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 this wasn't. This wasn't on the. It, it, it wasn't on the agenda on purpose. I, I, your your honest opinion. If you don't know, that's yeah. totally fine. But um, I'll I'm going to use myself as an example. Okay. I come to you, and the, this is the scenario. I want to buy 200 acres, and. The farms I'm looking at are going ten thousand, maybe twelve thousand dollars an acre. My wife and I make a hundred thousand dollars a year. We we don't have any major car payments. Okay, but um, we don't have any money in the bank right now. Um, and let's say we maybe have twenty thousand dollars in house equity or assets. Okay, um, I've got a maybe fifteen year timeline where I want to get I want to get two hundred acres in my hand. Um, maybe because I want to have my kids live on it. You know, I want to buy it before my kids graduate and out of the house. Um, do you see any plan, any, any way that that's possible? Yeah. Well, so right off the rip to go buy $2 million worth of dirt with, with that income and savings, I'd say you can't do it, but, but, uh, you said you have about 20 K saved up. Yeah. So you can buy a hundred thousand dollar piece of ground and buy that. So you're on a 15 year timeline. So, yep. So we can double how many times do we have to double. So you got to double quite a few times to get two. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so you're basically buying and selling every two years, probably yes. at, at that rate. Yeah. So that's probably what you would want to do. And and so if it's not a specific 200 yeah. acres, um, I would just say, okay, well, <clears throat> if this is what you want to do, and and I would say you have twenty thousand saved up. I'd probably say, can you save? You know, you make a hundred thousand. You don't have any major payments. Can you save another twenty thousand dollars in the next year? Yeah. And say, okay, now you know, I most four. people can, they really can, you know, especially yeah. if they're making that kind of money. Yeah. Yeah. So save, okay, let's save, let's get you to 40,000. So now you can go buy a $200,000 piece of ground depending on where interest rates are. Uh, so like, for example, you probably could afford about a thousand dollars a month, roughly. Okay. So at a 7% interest, a $200,000 uh, piece of dirt, 40,000 down. So that's that timeline. Or if rates do drop to 5%, you can buy a $250,000 piece of ground 
with almost identical payment. I ran yeah. this. I ran this this morning for a different person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. dude. I mean, you're quick. Works dude. great. Listen to this guy. He knows yeah. what he's talking about. Okay, okay. What if I said I would do anything? I'd sell my cars. I'd sell my house. I'd get a second job. What if? What if? What I'm willing to do is limitless, so you don't have to worry about lifestyle creep or anything mm-hmm. like that. What do, What are you thinking? I still think you just have to buy with what you can afford to begin okay. with. Something that you can build either. You know, the beautiful thing with real estate is you can force appreciation depending on the parcel. So, you know, depending on what that is, uh, it, it, I don't know if we're talking about tillable or record mixed use. Like there's some things you can do to make the piece of ground better than what it was when you bought it. Okay. And then you also have appreciation on your side. And so I think, you know, there's a lot of guys that have done exactly what you're saying. When, when you say it out loud, it sounds crazy. I want to own 200 acres in 15 mm. years. It sounds crazy. But I know a lot of people that have done exactly that in maybe eight years and it's just getting started and and being patient and finding a good deal that you feel is a fair price that you can make it a little bit better and make some more money and then continue to keep going. And and so that's that's really what you have to do to get to that size farm. I'm hearing two things. Uh, Have a really good real estate agent who's willing to sniff out those deals, present them to you, you know, have you on first call. And second, um, have... uh, um, be ready to work a lot of nights and, yeah. and dig into that property. And, and is that correct? Yeah. So for for sure. the, yeah. for the starter, like yeah. 50 to hundred acre. For sure. Yeah. Just find something that you can make incrementally better and, uh, and, and find something that's a fair deal. I mean, there it's 50, 50 to a hundred thousand. Not that. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Big difference. And I, there's still deals out there. If you're willing to work hard and pay close attention. I mean, I pay very close attention and it is hard to find a good deal, and and that's just the reality of it. Yeah. If you're you know st- you know strict to a two hour radius or one hour radius, and obviously the smaller that radius gets, the harder it will be to find oh, yeah. a deal in a specific area, depending mm-hmm. on what part of and the country. And with the internet now, where everyone the Dude. market levels itself out really yes. well, so yes. it's tough to. It's the information. It. That's that's yeah. where there, it's still somewhat inefficient. I compared to the stock market. The stock market's very very efficient. There's people that pay a lot of money for specific information. Mm-hmm. The guy on the floor in the New York Stock Exchange is going to know way more than what I do. He's not going to know as much as this, ba- this backyard where I'm at about, mm. you know, potential development or uh, how motivated the seller really is. So, like, that's where you have to sniff out something that's inefficient and then get okay. it up to the market. But um, but what you laid out, even at that income, is very, very possible in reality Yeah, if you stick to a plan and just get started. I think it's just the first farm. I mean, you could double your acreage hypothetically every two years. Yeah. Wow. If you, if you find a good deal, you improve it, you sell it. Yeah. And so, I, but there's just so many intricacies. There's so many details to, to the market. Cause like the last couple of years it's been, the market's been explosive. And if you even go to like 2016 to 2018, it was a lot more flat yeah. and there was even a slight down year. And so like, if you were waiting and you hypothetically bought at that time and then you yeah. held it for, and then it rolled up. But, um, the biggest thing is just getting started. Yeah. And here's the thing. But you might, you may think what you know, what you want for that 200 acres. I guarantee by the time you buy and sell six of them, you're going to really know what you want for those 200 acres to, to call yeah. your own. Cause yeah. it's like, I've learned that on every deal. It's like these ones like, oh, I wouldn't do that again. Or, Oh, I really want this attribute of a farm again. And so that's the other thing too. It's like, you kind of figure out what you really want. It's like that's someone good, that buys a, a house really in point. town. Like, I don't think I'd mind living in town. Then you move in town and the dog poops in your yard. The neighbor's dog poops in your yard. <laughs> I don't want that anymore. Yeah. I want to live in the country. How did you know that, that was going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It happened to me and it made me mad. <laughs> Dude, oh man. So I, I want to lay out, cause you went through that really quickly. Tons of information. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please go back and listen to the last seven minutes again, because it is, 
it might feel like a lot of information. That information could literally change your life. In 30 years, it could be a $10 million difference or 150 acre difference in your life. Um, But here's some things that I heard that I want to lay back out so that people, uh, one, do not let lifestyle creep get in there. Save every, like make extra money if you can, save a ton of money because whatever money you can save, you can multiply by four or five times to get a loan. So if you save $25,000, that's actually an extra $100,000 you can spend on land. Second, be ready to work at it and 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 be aware of what changes you want to do, which kind of blends with have a really good realtor, have a really good land realtor, pick your land. Don't necessarily do your buddy just because they're your buddy. Re- really know who, uh, make sure that they know what they're talking about. I mean, we know great people that know what they're talking about. Steve Hansen knows what he's talking about. You know what you're talking about. We have got a couple other guys we're connected yeah. with. Um, but uh we uh, don't call me and Kent to be your realtors. It'd, no. be, it'd be fun. We, it'd be fun. We're, <laughs> we would we're just say, realtors. talk to Jake, talk yeah, to Chase, yeah. talk to, talk to Steve. Where do you live? Yeah. I'll, but, I'll even give you this example, not to interrupt, but yeah. there's a, this is a specific client that I worked with that bought his first piece of ground. Ready? Yeah. He bought 40 acres. He saved up. He had, I think it was actually 40 grand. He bought a $200,000 piece of ground. And so this is one of my favorite stories because talking about potential development, it was along a highway. Really good deer hunting, but it was along a highway. It was zone industrial, and there was a large emerging company nearby. I said, I don't know when, but you are sitting on a golden ticket. Your phone will ring, and they'll offer you a, a good amount of money at some point. Mm-hmm. It happened to be within an under a year when he bought it. So he bought it for X, sold it for a lot more after that, went and bought another farm. We, we found him, got a good deal on it. He sold that one. And in four years, he went from 40 to 200. So I actually have helped wow. someone do yeah, that's exactly crazy. that. <laughs> like, yeah, I yeah. mean, from day one to, to today. I mean, yeah. I, I have seen that. So that's where I made it sound pretty easy is just because I've seen it done. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, and help someone the entire step well, of the it's, way. It's encouraged to see, encouraging to see that. So in that like that flipping model, right, what is what is the smallest parcel size you would you would get in on for a flip? <laughs> I think it, it depends on your budget. I mean, because there's there's people out there that send mailers to vacant landowners, and they're you know there's like a whole model and a whole business. And I don't know if, how I feel about it, but I mean, there's people that'll buy an acre lot if for two thousand dollars if they think they can sell it for ten. Well, well, <laughs> if uh, uh, Seek One keeps you know shooting, shooting <laughs> yeah. giant you know yeah. five drop point, drop time <laughs> yeah. uh, monsters in Ohio like in Cleveland Ohio then those those city lots are going to start <laughs> looking looking pretty good everyone's going to have a bait pile a quarter acre lot but That's i mean funny. I, I think the smallest would be i think to Nicholas's point about you know you can multiply your money by 4 based off of four or five times depending on the down payment requirement i think whatever you could buy that would be like all of your debt together still under 30% that's probably what I would try to buy because I think leverage, I mean, it is leverage is what you're doing. You're leveraging your money. So I'm not super bullish on leveraging to the absolute max, but I think it would be a good idea to still be with, because that's not super aggressive. Like that's still within your means more than likely. And and that's probably what I would try to find. But if you could find a a 20 that made really good sense, or if you could afford a hundred that made really Mm -hmm. good sense, it, it just comes down to, but you're including your mortgage as well in that 30% debt to income. So I, like on your house, yeah, you would include those yeah, two together. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. A lot of these people, they, all these different people have some form of sacrifice in their life. They either work a lot, like a mm-hmm. lot. When you think a lot, uh, multiply it a little bit more, or they have a very humble primary house or they drive crappy cars. Like 
whatever that sacrifice is, almost all these people that have done that, maybe maybe they sacrifice two of those things. And so mm-hmm. I do think that that's a good goal, and that's just probably more conservative than what it would need to be if you didn't have any other debt. But that's that's what I try to live by. Man. Okay, let's, there, this could be a fun game. I wanted to play this with Chase last night, but I didn't do it. Um, we did ask him, though, what are five things – when you see somebody who cannot buy land, who's just like, you know, they're just average person, you know, they don't, it's not like they have a, you know, mountain of cash that's sitting in a bank account somewhere. Just, just your, your average American person who's probably doing a little bit better than living paycheck to paycheck, right? Maybe they're putting a little bit of money away with each paycheck or something. So instead of you giving us your top five things that take people out of the game, um, Let's play a game of if I have this, I can't have land. Oh, okay. Uh, I, this is just my opinion. <laughs> I think if you have a truck payment, you probably aren't going to be able to have hey. land. <laughs> just, you just killed, you just killed like 90% of people's living. But that's the difference. I mean, the average, uh, there was a stat I can't, I shared on the land podcast, I can't remember, but the average truck payment in America was like eight or $900 oh my a month. So right there is a land. We just we just went through that. That's almost an entire. That's a forty. That's what if, yeah. if like that's the reality of it. So a truck for sure. Whether people there was I'm drawing this from a guest that we had. He was gonna buy a boat and then he went and talked to an old farmer. And he said, "Don't buy the boat, buy the land." And then he has you know increased his acreage. He was from Wisconsin. Um, he was a past guest. So a truck, a boat. You know. <sighs> See here, some people like to golf. Some people like to go on giant fishing trips. Mm-hmm. Like my, if I have free time, I'm going to the land to work on it. So like, I mm-hmm. think that's part of it. So like, if you don't, if this is truly your hobby and this is really mm. what you want to do, you're going to have to make some trades. So maybe you're not a member of the golf and golf with your buddies every Saturday and then go out yep. and have a few beers and then go to dinner and then go to the next bar. Like yep. <clears throat> it's gone. <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden yep. it's $60 every weekend times 50 weekends. A lot yeah. of money. Yeah. What, what, um, it's, what's interesting is you're saying that their hobby, their passion, has to overlap with wanting the land. The, otherwise, it'd be, I don't think they would make the sacrifice otherwise. Yeah, I yeah. think is what it comes down to. Land land ownership for the average person is a lifestyle. Is essentially what you're describing. It's that's it, what I've seen. I mean, from yeah. or at least to get there from no land, you know, yeah. uh, without yeah. getting a pile of cash some right. other way. That it's yeah. got to be. Yeah, and I would yeah. say student loans is probably another big one. Uh, if you, so I think I shared this on a recent podcast. So like twenty some dollars a day is almost ten thousand dollars a year. So if you're going to the gas station every mm. morning, going for lunch, and then not not packing your lunch, whatever the case may be, there's ten grand that just poof. And I think wow, I remember that when, really puts it into perspective. When there. I graduated yeah. from uh, college, I read the <clears throat> Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey. Oh yeah, and in kind of like I think just read that like a month ago. Really? Yeah, my <laughs> wife and I were because we're leveraged right now, so right. we're like we need some Dave Ramsey in our yeah, life <laughs> for sure. And so I remember reading that, and I honestly think if you want to own land, that's probably a good one. Now you're not going to follow his total uh, plan, but it'll get you in land. You don't do the, <laughs> yeah. you, you don't do the envelopes, or you know, or, I, dude. I went super hardcore when I did that, and I got out of all debt. And then I think that's been a big part of what in order to how I could afford land. I didn't have any other debt period. Um, until mm. even today we have no debt besides our house and the piece of land. So like, yeah, that's, that's just how we live. I, yeah, that's, that's, awesome. that's amazing. It, it's cool to see because I, I feel like our economy is so propped up on, I'm okay with debt 
that ends up adding value to society. For instance, taking out debt to start a business, I think that's good because you end up adding more value. But when you take on debt to consume something yes. and the value of that object poofed in a moment because you swiped your credit card for bugles, you know what I mean? And you and and then you <laughs> ate those bugles in one sitting. Going hard after Dude. bugles, <laughs> man. <laughs> I don't know. I, I can't stand the way they taste, man. I, what other snack food allows you to make a little witch hat on your yeah. finger? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I liked him a lot in middle school. But, you know, but then the value of that debt poofed. So the debt still exists, but the value doesn't. That's when I'm like, dude, debt, that's dangerous debt. That's why credit card debt's crazy dangerous. But then when you're actually adding value or using debt to add value to the land or or a business or you know something else um yeah that makes sense to me yeah i honestly think it it's almost all behavioral of if if you cuz like people say oh. they want to own land they like i want to own land but it's like none of your behavior matches oh, that up oh my goodness yeah. dude <laughs> when uh it was oprah winfrey said uh told her voice coach she was on the radio a lot <clears throat> when she was younger told her voice coach i really want to get into acting and her voice mm. coach said no, you don't, because you would have started doing things. Mm. So a lot of people are like, I really want to own land. I don't know if you do. You yeah. know, look, yeah. I'm looking at all of your lifestyle. I'm not sure you do. You yeah. know, and it's hard. It's hard because it, it it is. I mean, it's 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 not easy to to get started. But once you do, you just realize like, oh, it's a little bit easier than I thought. And yeah. Um. But yeah, that that's a really good example with Oprah. Like, what are you doing today to get closer to your goal? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Did you just? I mean, maybe some of our listeners, you, you stepped on some toes, but you roasted me. It's from a place of love, I promise. Yeah, 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 no, it's from a place of love. <laughs> Sorry, I, I really wanted to do that exercise because of how many people, whether for hunting, but a lot of people listen to our podcast, it's for conservation. Yeah. I'd, or, I'd or, love to make Or even homesteading. Or, Home, yeah, or exactly. Tons of things. I'd love, I'd love a piece of some land. It is difficult, but... To anyone who says it's impossible, you might just be being a little lazy, uh, or not lazy is a harsh word. You you might be this is a loser mentality. Is yeah, what it is. yes, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Victim victim yeah. mindset. So I, yeah. I think um, just hearing that it can happen, even if something as much as a two million dollar piece of land, it can happen. Um, but make sure you have some good people and good mindsets on your team, and that's where a really good realtor mm-hmm. uh, helps step in that fill that gap. Yeah. You know, as we as we kind of go into the last part of this interview here, we want to talk some more about your work here on your own on your own ground. And um, just like with starting some kind of operation, whether it's just purely my operation is I have a really sweet place to hunt Mm -hmm. or I have a sweet place to hunt, but I also have income coming from these 20 acres over here that either I cash rent or farm myself or whatever. Um some of those things that we mentioned, right? Like, Oh, if I'm going to have some ground, you know, I need to, uh, I don't need a small tractor or a side by side or something like that, that to help me uh, manage it. And because that's more afford, that's a, that's a payment they can afford now compared to a land payment. They get the cart before the horse. Well, the same thing happens I think a lot when people do gain control of some acres, either through inheritance or buying, like, man, I really want this place to be a good spot to hunt deer and uh, TSI work. Whoa. You know, that's, that's a lot of, that's tough. That's hard to figure, but I can figure out a food plot, you know? (laughs) And, and so they get the cart before the horse there as well, I think. And they do the wrong 
types of of things. And I'm not saying that every person needs to be like have already preloaded in their brain the right method for flipping a property and making it an excellent place to to hunt or to to enjoy wildlife on. Maybe it's just like you've said, kind of more of a holistic. How do I build a better ecosystem? Mm-hmm. Um, what are like like what's been your process? Because you've done a good job of this. Consulting experts, um, stuff that you knew beforehand, hey, don't fall for this. That's a short-term fix. Mm-hmm. I need a long-term fix. What are just some of those things that you've, you've mean, done I've, to, to help yourself? Some, I've made some mistakes along the way for sure. Um, but like as far as some different things that I think have, have made a difference here is just the backfield was fallow when we bought it. Mm. And so – I made a small food plot the first year. It's exciting. It's therapeutic. And, you know, like, is it the absolute most impactful practice? Probably not in reality. Mm -hmm. Um, But with it being fallow, it was full of nasty thistle. Yeah. (laughs) Every weed you can imagine. So I was like, okay, following year, I'm going to plant beans and I'm going to spray it and keep up on it. And then I enrolled it into CRP to add as much habitat and diversity as I possibly could in that small little 10 acre field. So I planted like 2000 trees. There's a warm season grass section. There's pollinator. There's a clover buffer around all of it. And I remember last year, because there was still thistle, I've been spraying it. Yep. I remember going through with a backpack sprayer in between all my trees and just nuking every little thistle that I could yeah, because good. it's hard. And uh, so I think that's been something that is going to provide a lot more habitat long-term too. Yes. And, and yeah. as, a, as an agent, I get to walk a lot of pieces of ground. And I love, I love the farms that had a tree planting and they're like 7 to 12 years old. It's always tore up, and it's just so cool. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so that was yeah. part of my inspiration uh, to go do that. And um, so I would say, and then also the biggest thing is just the invasive species removal of. I was going to say, I know you've done something. a lot of that, and it's a it it's it's a lot of work. But man, you've just put on. I have the the and the, that and that's a three steps forward, two steps back process. Oh, right? for sure, yeah. Because you're okay. Here's this dense thicket of cover is still is cover and then you're just destroying all of it and then you're hoping that <laughs> the good stuff <laughs> uh, comes yeah. back and so part of my equip contract is that make sure that uh, by planning good stuff will come back but you know there was from I, I i didn't run a bunch of cameras on this farm because they're all in iowa <laughs> 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 but i don't know like i wish i could compare the holding capacity from two seasons ago versus last season from, okay, this had honeysuckle thickets and mm-hmm. this past year I didn't, I would be curious, but I can tell you there's a lot more sign in and around those little areas. Cause mm. I almost felt like it was so thick that you couldn't get in and out. Yeah. There. I think that becomes a problem and, uh, for deer. For there's, sure. there's a landowner out here that I've uh, friended and, and he, he's been doing the projects that I just started 20 years ago. And that has been really inspiring. He's like, keep at it, keep at it. Because he has seen the 20 years is a long time. Yeah. He got rid of all of the honeysuckle. He did all of the that's TSI. Awesome. And he, he's talking about all the regeneration of natives. And uh, so that's a little bit of inspiration too. So I think sometimes when you're in the thick of it, it's like if you could find someone that has gone through that process to say, hey, you're not crazy. I know it's going to look ugly for a while, yeah, <laughs> um, right. but, but it'll get better. Um, but those are some of the, the bigger things too. And uh, the last, uh, this is, there was a really big response with doing the controlled burnout here. So there's a lot of cool season grasses. And then now when we walk in some of these areas, it's like kind of an oak savanna back there, an old one. And now we see oak regeneration popping up randomly. Like, oh, here's, mm, here's, a, here's cool. a little oak. Oh, here's a little oak. And I have, I so have cool. tubes in the back of my side-by-side all the time, you know, yeah. like <laughs> trying to protect all of them. 
And so, I mean, that okra generation is something, that's another thing that keeps me up at night. Because a lot of these farms, if they were cut at a certain period and they weren't managed, there is very little okra generation, period. And so to have that naturally happening out back, I get pretty geeked out about it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's a cool thing. That goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning of just signs of... I was just thinking progress. Yeah. Savings the pheasant. Yeah. You know, an interesting thing that we, we just talked to Chase Burns and he talked about his piece that he lives on, how he had these old mature, uh, oaks when he bought it. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, he got hammered with oak wilt mm. shortly after he bought it and lost almost all of his oak trees. Oh and he said there was no natural regeneration because I learned from a guy whose family owned this two land landowners before we, us, that they used to, this was their hog pasture. And so for, you know, 30 years or whatever, hogs were just eating all the acorns. Mm. So there was nothing for oak regen on that. And so, you you know, it didn't have that natural attrition that mm-hmm. a forest should have. And uh, so correcting those old, those old problems, you know, not like the those hog farmers were doing, you know, doing something wrong. It's just something you wouldn't even think about, you know. It's like, hey, that's good forage for my hogs, you know. But what is what is the downstream effect? And and um, the fact though that you're seeing that you know pop back and you planted like two thousand trees last year. Yeah, and I'm planting another two thousand eight hundred this year. <laughs> wow. Oh, you, you've already put them in the ground? This no, year? not yet. Oh, you're no, going to? Yeah, I have them ordered. So that uh, are these all spring. like like live root? Uh, yeah, bare root. I bought, bare root seedlings. I try to buy everything through either the Iowa DNR, or the Illinois uh, DNR. I mean, it's affordable. They're, yeah, they're you gotta get on that. You gotta get on that quick. They sell out. Fast. Oh, I set an alarm, and I'm I have my Excel spreadsheet of what I need to order, and then I'm just you know I'm, yeah. I get in and out because they do go fast. Or if I know like this pasture, I can't remember what species was. It looked like they only had 300. I went through and just ordered that one specifically first <laughs> to make sure I got it. Then went through and got like the ones that they had a gazillion of. So I made sure I got them. So how do they? I mean they they sell out so quick. I feel like. I mean, Paul Adama sold trees for a while. He'd buy them from the DNR yeah. and then and then grow them in the five gallon bucket, you know. And mm-hmm. but I'm surprised no one has come. No private entity has come to fill in the gaps for the. Well, there there is some of that, you know. There's some tree farms out there. Uh, what I, what I never thought of is how obviously, just like all farming is challenging. Tree farming, I think, is exceptionally challenging. Yeah. Um, there's a guy not far from us who had a. Uh, a Christmas tree farm. And I, I can't remember if I was talking with him or, or, um, uh, Carol knew him and he had for years had this Christmas tree farm and then he was ready to retire, but there was nobody that was interested in taking over, which is like, dude, if I'd been around here, I would have been interested, you know? And, and what happened is you're talking to a, something that definitely can't be this short, but definitely can't be this tall. It's got to be, you know, like within a, a five foot range of height and all of his trees got too big. So mm. now you have a evergreen forest, I guess, you know, yeah. like there's no, there's you have a lumber yard or right, you have a, yeah. Right. right. So like if you don't have the right number of customers in the right time, uh, your farm is becomes firewood. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's yeah. like, it's, it's a, so, you know, I think that's why, Nicholas, that there, you don't see a ton of, a of private work. nurseries out there. Yeah, it's so much work, and, and trees take forever to 
to become well isn't a, the idea but the dnr just does like basically seedling trees yeah right but they, but they so, also have yeah. you know a, a staff to that, that well that's what i'm sub- saying subsidized I, I don't, oh they're, yeah they're yeah. so cheap i mean they're because like I, a buck or two or something cheaper like that. i mean I, I don't i mean like the shrubs for a bundle of 100 is like 60 dollars. oh my goodness mm. yeah and then the, i think a bundle of 100 oaks is I'm just I could, I'm guessing I think it was like a hundred dollars, yeah, dollar mm. a piece. Where if you go to Chief Nursery or something like that online, yeah. it's exponentially more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's I think that's probably why. But I'm super thankful they do it because it makes oh, yeah. it, it makes it so much more attainable for for me to do that. If I had to pay, Equip would not cover if I had to go buy them at yeah uh, two thousand no. trees for five bucks a piece. You know, that yeah. just wouldn't work. Yeah. Well, and uh, you know another thing about this is you're buying a lot of trees knowing that it's probably going to be like what a 20, 25% survival rate or you actually, so you need to keep the survival rate. I think at three quarters or something wow. like that what? to yeah. keep your equip money or yeah. Or I know wow. for CRP too. So that means a lot of replanting because so you, I, that's why I tube a lot of them yeah. <laughs> because that's one way to help ensure yeah. that they, they survive. So even last year it was really, really, really dry for a very long time. And then, I'll be curious to see how many of them have leaves <laughs> this yeah. spring, but I think I'll still be really close to that three quarters. That's um, awesome. So, but yeah, if, if you do not do the proper management, it's, it is not easy. Yeah. I mean, you have everything going against you. If yeah. you don't tube them, the deer will, will rub their antlers or, or eat them. I mean, yep. it doesn't take, it takes and rabbits. Rabbits are oh, nightmares yeah. on yeah. trees. So you have so many things going against you and that's where, uh, I really, Encourage tree tubes, <laughs> five foot yeah. tree tubes. Do you use uh, Skip's method of putting like the the mesh, the wire mesh in there around the? Not on, well, not on two thousand. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but on my on fruit trees, I would definitely do that. Yeah, that's awesome. That's smart. What fruit trees you got? I have some Kiefer pears back there, and uh, some Arkansas black or black Arkansas apple trees too. Okay, yeah, nice. Cool. Yeah, have yeah, those started to so cool. produce? Just, just planted them last year. They were three year old trees, I think. So hopefully. Probably a year or two. That's the thing. This is a game of patience. Yeah, but for sure. It, it, and so uh, this is always a common thing, like in talking to different uh, whitetail people. It's like, well, warm, you know, switchgrass, warm season grasses get established two or three years, but trees take a lot longer. Yeah. But I was like, well, I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm going anywhere. So I'll yeah. just plant trees because I think it'll be cooler. So I often, I don't want to wish time away, but it's like, I want to see what that's going to look like yeah. in 10 years yeah. so bad. Yeah. <laughs> I just yep. want to know so bad. Well, maybe by then you'll, you know, you'll have, you'll have some young hunters along with you and, <laughs> right. and they're shooting their first deer under there or something. Yeah. You know, that'd be, that'd be pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, as we, as we look to the, the future, Jake, um, what's your pipe dream for land ownership and management without creating some, you know, burden of competition that you don't need in your <laughs> right. life i mean i will i'll say this i would say when i was younger my pipe dream was to own land period whether that was right. 20 acres or 40 acres like that's i'm just telling you like that's that's where i was at as a kid growing up it was a pipe dream to own land period so i've been extremely fortunate and extremely extremely lucky to to, to own some farms um but my long-term pipe dream i mean i I think uh, anyone that owns ground, they always want to buy the neighbors. <laughs> I think uh, I think that would be really cool to own from this road all the way to that road. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be awesome. To have your yeah. own quarter like it used to be. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be cool. But I mean, I it's a lot of work to to truly manage land. So as much as I'd say I'd love to own a section, or I'd love to own a hundred acres in Illinois, a hundred acres in Iowa, a hundred acres in Kansas. 
it'd be, it's a lot of work to, to really do it. Right. Oh yeah. Um, and I think that's the, I think it'll continue to evolve as I become more proficient and understand what really needs done when. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, I've learned a lot in the last couple of years of just those exact things, <laughs> what needs done right. and when <laughs> and right. why. Um, but yeah, I think, I think, uh, that would be cool to, to piece, piece together more. And I do think it'd be a pipe dream. I think I know it'll be one of those situations where it's, uh, well, you got to buy it because you know you're only going to have one chance to buy it in your life. I yeah. know that's exactly what it's going to be. So hopefully I'm in a position to do that at that time. Whenever yeah. that is, I might be 60 years old, but who knows? Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's it's good to always have something to keep striving for. And uh, I hope you get there. You know, I think we'll that'd see. be, I think that'd be really cool to see, uh, you know, Nicholas and I will come back with gray hair to do another podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I like yeah. it. Yeah. Show us around, Jake. Yeah, yeah, I'll finally have that 200 acre piece. And yeah, in right. 15 years, you're going to have it. So yeah, yeah, we yeah. laid out a plan. <laughs> yeah, here we are. <laughs> yeah. Well, Nick, why don't you go ahead and wrap us up here? Man. I've been wrapping up all the podcasts. You so have. It's your, it's your turn to put your brain into autopilot here as you send us I'm off. ready. Look, Jake, you're a cool guy. You're a cool guy. I, I got that feeling, man. Like, man, I like that guy. You know, that you get with Steve Hansen. Just, uh, yeah, that is so true. Every time I'm around Steve, I just like, I'm like walking back after we say goodbye. I'm like, man, I like Steve. Dude, it really is. It's, it's like its own emotion, you know, that you can't define. I'm like, man, I like that guy. You're, uh, you're obviously a go-getter, but you're not. What's cool is I don't smell a hint of running over anybody to be a go-getter. And that mm-hmm. is really cool. I think it shows that, I mean, a lot of your success from realty is because you really help people. That is amazing. You're treating land really, really well. You, 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 even though you didn't start as a conservationist, I think it showed where your heart truly was that you became one as more information started coming your way. I think that's amazing. You've got a great, great companies, Exodus, you've got uh, Exodus podcasts and, and the land podcast. And I, you're just doing really cool things. I mean, things that, that hit the heartstrings of both Kent and I, Oh yeah. I had a really, really good time talking. I don't usually wrap up by just like throwing <laughs> flattery at people, but yeah. I, I just had a really good time. Now, Jake, can you give me something? I really appreciate you guys coming out here. It was a, a, a lot of fun. And I, 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 I tuned in some of your guys' uh, podcasts here this morning, and I sparingly listen. I have a bunch of podcasts I like oh, to listen yeah, to. Oh, yeah, There's yeah, not yeah. enough road time to catch up yeah. with all of them. And oh, uh, yeah. I really I appreciate what you guys are doing from us from the seed side of things and also just the awareness of, of what you guys do. I think it's an excellent movement, and yeah. I'm sure it will catch more traction as appreciate people that. become enlightened. I think it's people don't know what they don't know. Oh, yeah. yeah There's absolutely. a lot of truth to that. Well, friends... Remember, we are sponsored, presenting sponsor Hoxie Native Seeds. That means dad pays the bills, and, and he pays those bills happily because he he wants conservation to spread. He wants the mindset. He wants the education to spread. He really, really cares about it. So we are thankful to dad and Hoxie Native Seeds for paying these bills. If you guys are needing CRP, whether you're in Illinois or Iowa or Minnesota or Missouri or uh, South Dakota or Nebraska or Kansas, <laughs> I'm, th- I'm trying to – Ohio occasionally even – uh, if you're needing CRP seed, we've got it on the on April 1st. It'll be on our shelf, and uh, I think this podcast might actually come out after that. Um, but then, if you're needing backyard pollinator, um, it's, we're coming into the end of cold stratification and into uh, warm season planting in, in May and June, and that'll be a really cool time. Visit us on hoxynativeseeds.com or theprairiefarm.com, and just like Jake is going to end up affecting for better thousands and thousands of acres and many of those he will own himself uh, and, and, yeah, and, and heavily affect conservation 
conservation happens one mind at a time. 